I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. We're back for a Thursday edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. It is Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoo with you here as we're in the heart of training camp, kind of one week into training camp, less than two weeks to go to the start of the regular season. And it was time, as you said uh, this week, Sean, to dust out and bust out the old Bizarro meeting, uh, Bizarro uh, meter rankings, right? Yes. Like, mm-hmm. let's it, talk one about of my f- yeah. favorite pieces <laughs> of the year to write because it's uh, for a couple of reasons. I have some fun with it, obviously. Uh, and uh, it's also, it, it is a good refresher on what happened in the offseason. It's a good refresher for me because I sit down to write it, and obviously I'm going through each and every team and everything they did, and there are times where I'm like, oh, right, that guy is over there now, or they did this, or they made this move. Uh, And then I put it out there, and for a lot of readers, it's it's a refresher. I was surprised uh, how much feedback I got from, from people who read that piece who say, look, man, I tune out. In the offseason. I'm I'm I haven't seen any of this stuff. So this is what gets me back into figuring out exactly what's been going on. Like, you know, you, you and me and and I think a, a big chunk of fans out there, we we obsess on it, right? Like we get right in there and every move, oh, who's gonna do what? Who's gonna make what move? No. Uh, for a lot of fans, they they tag out, they tag back in September. Maybe that's the way to do it too. Yeah. Okay. I gotta ask, because I think people could probably hear that in the background. Yeah. Do you have a home phone still? I do, and I have no idea who's what calling going, that because who's I don't phoning get phone your calls. Home phone? I don't get phone calls. So now I'm having, and I think anyone who has the home phone, I now have that nervous moment where the home phone just rang, and now I got to wait and see if the cell phone rings. 
Because if the cell phone rings, that means it's actually, you know, it's maybe the kid's school or it's something like that important. But if that doesn't go, I, I have no idea. I don't know who's calling me. <laughs> and by the way, if you have my number, don't ever call me. Yeah. Ever. Don't ever. Text. Yeah. Email. Or just, you know what? Just, it's probably not that important. There's nothing I can help you with. Yeah. Have you heard another thing where you text somebody and then you get a notification back like, you know, 30 seconds later? Uh, you have sent tech, uh, text to landline, and you're yes. like, oh, jeez. Yes. What like, have oh, I no. done? Have you ever gotten yeah. one? Well, I mean, you, obviously, you don't get them because you don't have a landline. Uh, we don't it's have a landline anymore. It's the most anymore. awkward yeah. thing that you get, you get this like automated message, this robot voice saying, you've just received a text message, and then it tries to read to you uh, in in its uh, little little AI voice. It's absolutely terrible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Don't we don't. I don't know why I have that thing. And I don't know why I didn't unplug it, which I'm supposed to do. But yeah. when it went off, I was like, ah, the producer, producer Danielle will edit that out. And I'm sure Ian won't call me on it. So, yeah, oh. no, no. I, you know what? You having a home phone, I think that that pushes you to the top of the bizarro, uh, bizarro rankings pushes amongst me to writers. The top of the mean, old guy rankings is, I think, yeah. what, it, what it does. OK, so after reading and, and on Wednesday, Speaking you did of phones. Yeah, exactly. There's your segue. Yeah, exactly. This is on Wednesday, you do the Western Conference. Thursday, you do Columbus. And it was cl like Columbus wins the Bizarro yeah. uh, meter rankings by a good distance. Thanks to the Congratulations to Blue Jackets fans who have finally seen their team win something for the first time in 23 years. Was there anybody else that came close? Like, okay, so... Columbus is number one. Most bizarre mm -hmm. offseason happens. Oh, hey, listen, your coach, you like you hire a controversial coach and then part ways with him before he even takes over a training camp. You win, no questions asked. Yep. What was the race like for number two? It was the interesting thing. Uh for, and, and by the way, people don't don't uh read the piece or if they're not familiar with it. This is this is my annual attempt to rank the strangest offseasons. Strangest, not best, not worst, not busiest, or who did what. It's it's who surprised us. Who did those you know those strange off season stories where you go, what the heck is going on over there? I'm I'm trying to trying to rank up that. And the thing that I found this year, and I didn't realize this until I sat down to write the piece. Most of the weirdness was in the East this year. There were a, there were a few things out west. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, when I, when I wrote the Western piece and there were a few comments on the piece that said this, where people are like, man, this feels like a really normal off season. Maybe NHL teams are learning. Maybe NHL teams are, are starting to, you know, get, to, uh, starting to grow up a little bit. No, it, it was just that the weirdness was out east. So I would say the contenders, I'm pretty sure the second highest score was the Toronto Maple Leafs for the whole Kyle Dubas mess. That 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 yeah. uh, you know, we, and, and that was back at the very start of the offseason. You know, maybe it's not as as fresh certainly as the Babcock stuff, but that was a very weird situation. Not that they moved on from a GM, but the fact that Brendan Shanahan's press conference, where he explained the thinking that basically right. was, we spent all year evaluating, trying to figure out if we wanted to keep Kyle Dubas. We decided we did want to keep Kyle Dubas. We told Kyle Dubas we want him to stay. He told us he wanted to stay, and now he's not the GM anymore. And uh, it, 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 to this day, I don't fully understand what happened. And in fact, I, I went back and I read the piece that I wrote that day. And in that piece, I wrote, there's, there's got to be something here we're not 
we're not privy to yet, but it'll come out. And this will all make more sense down the road. And we're down the road now, and it still doesn't make any more sense to me. Um, so the Leafs, and then the fact that that ends up being the only major change that the Leafs make. They keep everybody else, run it back yet again. Um, that was a very, very strange offseason. Other teams that did well, uh, Pittsburgh, yeah. it being, well, you know, Pittsburgh the other half of the Dubas equation. Du- yep. but, and I love how I think you wrote, you know, Dubas put out the call, like, I'm looking for a GM. Yeah. We knew where that Nobody was bought at. it. Everybody's yeah. like, you're going to pick yourself. And yeah. no, 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 I'm going to, you know, I'm going to scour. I'm going to search the world and find the best candidate. Yeah, actually, it's going to be me. I'm, I'm going to uh, do it. The other, the um, other Pennsylvania team was kind of up there a little bit for you, right? In, in, Phil- in the Flyers? Philadelphia was up there uh, for a few reasons. Um, they, you know, you had the, the first offseason to Danny Breer, and, and he made some moves. To his credit, he he wasn't you know he he uh, uh, he didn't sit back. He he took some swings. They end up being the team that goes out and gets Matt Mitchkov, uh, which uh, I think will pay off for them. They had a couple of weird moments uh, that you may have missed if you don't pay attention to the offseason. One was that uh, that weird situation where one of their somebody on their social media team got caught on a hot mic. <laughs> Yeah. making fun of a reporter. So they had to yeah. they had to put out an apology about that. And as I said in the piece, uh, that would normally be the strangest official statement that gets put out by a, uh, by a team is when you have to apologize for your social media person ripping on a reporter. But even stranger than that, remember at the very beginning of the offseason, they did this like this weird rebranding where they're like, yeah, we're not like orange anymore. Orange. Now we're orange. And it was like the exact same shade of orange. And we're not like, okay. And they put out that weird statement about was Flyers it like we're hockey. Gonna, we're we're going to work our ass off or something? Yeah. Was that the statement? Yeah. They're dry. I got them to right. swear again, guys. I did it. That's right. I got them. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, right. It was like, you know, this this very strange, like, official statement comes out from the team, which means, I mean, as as you know, it probably 18 different people had to see it and sign off on it. And, you know, they were like, no, no, we got we to gotta work blue on this one. Uh, so so there was that one. And, and, and as I said... Maybe the strangest thing of the Flyers offseason, they look like they have a plan. They look like they're actually executing on a plan. They have some competence. They have, uh, you know, they, they've, they've got a path forward. That's a little bit weird. Uh, the Flyers are usually one of those teams you can count on for the uh, comic relief. Um, but they actually finally seem like they're headed in the right direction. So, so that was good. Two other teams that, that did score high um, that, that I'll, I'll mention uh, first of all, the Seattle Kraken. And if if you know what I mean when I say book talk, yeah. if you understand what that is a reference to and what that controversy was, um, then, then good for you, I guess. If you don't understand, probably better for you. Um, I, I don't fully understand it. And as I said in the I was very explicit. This is not an invitation for someone to explain it to me. I know as much as I wanted. I know it involved <laughs> books, it involved players, it involved like erotic literature. That's all I need to know. All I know is as soon as I have to write the word erotic, you're you're a minimum seven on the uh, on the Bizarro meter scale. So um, they were up there pretty much exclusively for that. And then the other one was the the Nashville Predators, and I feel like maybe we're not talking as much as we could be about the fact that they went from the single most experienced GM in the history of the league, and David Poyle, a guy who has 
been a GM for go, gee, almost you know four decades. Four decades. Um, yeah. And and has won more games than any GM. And they went from him stepping down, retiring, and they had a succession plan, but the succession plan was Barry Trotz, a guy with absolutely zero front office experience. Now, a guy who's been around the league a lot, been around that organization, great hockey mind. I mean, th- this isn't, um, you know, they're, they're not pulling in some, some random guy uh, out of nowhere, but it's not common to see a guy who is a head coach. And we all spent, I remember last summer, we spent the summer going, where's Barry Trotz going to wind up? And then, you know, hey, okay, maybe he's going to take a year off and this will be the year of Barry Trotz. And no, he's not behind the bench. He's a GM uh, with virtually no experience on that job and going in and making some big moves. Uh, the buyout of uh, of Matt Duchesne, the trade of Ryan Johansson, you know, was basically a giveaway, changing the culture, I guess you could say, of that team. Um, very interesting. Again, when I say bizarre, I'm not saying bad. I'm not saying that these weren't the right moves or they couldn't work out, but sort of a strange situation where, I mean, you know, maybe Nashville being a smaller market, it, it, it didn't, or, or the fact that Trotz is just so respected as a hockey guy. Um, but I mean, you imagine Toronto or Chicago or Montreal or something going from all the experience in the world to a, basically a rookie uh, at the job. And then he starts making weird moves. Hey, that's a pretty strange offseason in my mind. Yeah, I'm really curious about Nashville as a team, right? Because, you know, I think Ryan O'Reilly is an interesting signing. I think when you have UC Saros, you give a chance. If he's healthy, you give yourself a chance to win. Their defense, it's an older group, obviously led by Roman Yossi. Like, I feel like if everything goes well for Nashville, I could see them slipping into a wildcard spot. like. Yep. But I also feel like they everything could age terribly. All of a sudden, everybody is, you know, the Shens and the O'Reilly's and whatever. They look like they're in their 30s. And all of a sudden, you're a lottery team. Like, I, I could, they're one sure. of the most interesting, even St. Louis, like St. Louis and Nashville to me are like the teams I'm like, man, they, this thing could go either way. Like, I could, I, I totally see the upside. Don't get me wrong. But boy, I, I don't know where this is going. With either of them. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Nashville is a team that they just missed last year. They were in the mix yeah. right up to the very end on that. And uh, when you have one of the best goalies in the world, and I think you could make a pretty good argument, they've got the best goalie in that conference. Um, you, you've got a puncher's chance for sure. But you're right. You could you could see it all going bad. Uh, you, you don't even really have to squint that hard to, to figure out how that could go. And then you look at St. Louis, which was, I think, what was maybe the strangest about St. Louis was, and there's a few teams that fit into this category, the moves that they didn't make. That you looked going into the offseason and you kind of went, man, St. Louis has been contenders, at least at, at least playoff spot contenders for, for years and years, and then it just all falls apart last year. And you're looking at this going, okay, Doug Armstrong isn't going to let this just sit. It's either time to take the big step back and do the rebuild, or you're going to reload. But they're going to do something. They're going to make some moves. And you didn't really see it. I, I mean, they they did a few things. Every team does a few things. But they didn't uh, redefine themselves the way that maybe you thought they were. And, and the two other teams 
that I think fall into that category, maybe even in more obviously, are are two Canadian teams out west, Calgary and Winnipeg, where you went into the offseason going, watch these two teams. Because both of these teams felt like yeah. they were in disarray. They felt like they were breaking apart at the seams a little bit. And okay, change has got to come. And you saw it in Calgary where, yeah, I mean, it almost felt like there was there was a mutiny going on where uh, it, it, the, the players didn't want to be there. Um, and we get the change uh, at, at behind the bench, Daryl Sutter gone. You get the change at GM with Craig Conroy coming in for, for Bradshaw Living. And, but the big player moves don't really end up happening. And, and the Sutter situation maybe is the answer to that. You say that the, the, the problem there was the coach. He's gone. Now the players are, are ready to sort of give another opportunity. But what's interesting to me is Craig Conroy said at the beginning of the year, look, I'm not going to wind up in the situation we were in before where we've got players going in the last year of the deal, the Johnny Gaudreau scenario. Uh, we can't let that happen. So you looked at the guys that they needed to re-sign. You thought, okay, there's guys that are going to be some trades, some big contracts, something's going to happen. And it hasn't really yet. Winnipeg, same thing. That looked like a team where certainly Mark Shifley and, and Connor Hellebuck, you thought, okay, one, if not both of those guys are going to get moved. Those will be big trades. Again, not not really happening to the point where now um, you look at Connor Hellebuck. To me, he's one of the most interesting players in the league this year because he is going into the final year of his deal doesn't seem especially interested in staying in Winnipeg. Um, seems seems happy enough to play out the contract with the Jets, but doesn't seem to have a, a huge amount of interest in in sticking around, especially going through what could be a quasi-rebuild. He's at the stage in his career. He wants to go and, and be a contender somewhere. Um, look at the goaltending market. What's he going to get? What's he going to get either from Winnipeg, from a team that trades for him at some point in the season or in free agency next year, um, is he going to get the Vasilevsky-style contract? Is, or, or do we still do those for goalies? Is he going to get something less? It's going to be very interesting to see. But uh, again, you kind of felt like Winnipeg was going to have to, you know, to, to use a phrase that, that I like to use sometimes, they were going to have to shoot or get off the point. And uh, they didn't really do either. And so you're, you're still kind of waiting. Again, strange. Not necessarily bad. Sometimes, sometimes you know, calm hand at the wheel is is the right approach. But if I had told you that neither Calgary or Winnipeg made major roster changes, uh, if I had said that to you back in June, it would have seemed very strange to you. Yeah, shoot or get off the point. The family shoot friendly the point. hockey version That's of right. uh, some another yeah. phrase. Um, so, well, we don't we don't swear on this show. So. We don't swear on this unless we're quoting directly from Snoop Dogg or the Philadelphia Flyers. Exactly. That's, That's it. the only time we swear. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You, you talk about Calgary. They want they had some guys to get done, and they did get one done on, on Wednesday. Michael Backlund gets a two-year deal, and he also gets the captaincy. Now, mm -hmm. look, he, he's an older guy, right? He's in his mid-30s, whole career in Calgary. I'm trying to think, though, has anybody ever gotten the captaincy on a two-year extension? Like, you know, we're giving you a two-year extension, and you're the captain. 
on the usually oftentimes you see like, hey, we're giving this guy a five-year mm-hmm. extension and he's gonna be the captain. Um, I think it's the right choice. Does, does right? it not Isn't feel like like to you a little bit like we've moved away from the the era of like shorter term captains? Like there used to be not not to not to go all old guy on everyone, but it used to be not to go all common. home phone. They, not to go yeah, off on phone up. Exactly. People. Yeah. It used yeah. to be that you would, it wasn't rare to see a team pick a guy as captain and you knew he was going to wear the C for one year, two years. Maybe there were young kids coming along the way. Maybe there was, you know, somebody else that you were waiting for them to establish themselves. Uh, and that was fine. And, and I think these days you see much more often teams just going without the captain, just saying, you know, we're not there yet. So yeah. we're, we're just not going to name anybody. Um, but you know, it wasn't that rare to have like the veteran guy. And, you know, we've, we've talked before about having the depth guy as the captain and, and that's not, uh, really the case here, um, with Backlund, but I, I don't, it, it does feel a little bit unusual in this, this modern sense where it feels like every team you name a captain, it's like, that's my guy for the next 10 years. Um, but, uh, I, I don't, uh, I, I think we all figured that he would likely be the guy if, he re-upped if 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 they could get him uh, get get that commitment, ended up getting it. Not you know short term deal, but an appropriate one. And uh, yeah, I, I I you know I have no issue with it, um, but it does feel a little unusual only in that today context where everybody's looking for the long term fit. Okay, tell me then, is this weird to you? And maybe this could you could have snuck this into your bizarro meter ratings. Ottawa played Montreal Wednesday night in a preseason game. Josh Bailey spent his entire career with the Islanders uh, on a PTO in Ottawa, meaning he's here on a professional tryout. And they gave him an A, like the an alternate captain mm-hmm. on his jersey. And he's a PTO. Now, the Ottawa iced a pretty AHLE lineup, we'll call it. Yeah. Uh, but you're giving a guy like it, to me, I read into that like I kind of feel like you're going to be signed here at some point. Yeah, and and first of all, um, shout out to everybody who, like me, this morning is just finding out that Josh Bailey is yeah. with the Ottawa Senators. I breaking had no because idea because he's on a P- because he's on a PTO. Yeah, that's and, why. And and yeah, maybe at the very least, it's an indication that this is a a real tryout. We all know that the. The way that this works is a lot of teams, if fans don't know, teams are required to dress a certain number of experienced NHLers for It's eight, eight I think, is the number yeah. for a preseason game. Yeah. And, and you know, the reason for that is, as any season ticket holders out there well know, you're, they're, you're, you're, you're selling tickets to these games. You're forcing people, in, in a lot of cases, to buy tickets to these games. At the very least... You don't want people showing up and, and seeing 20 no names um, out there. Uh, so they want at least a few veterans in the lineup. And the way that a lot of teams get around this is they sign guys to PTOs that they really have very little intention of offering a roster spot to. But those guys count and they, they let you get to that uh, eight player minimum. Maybe that's not the case in Ottawa. Maybe they're they're actually looking at Josh Bailey as a potential option. It, it you know, maybe it's it's also just a nice gesture to say to someone like, hey, part of the reason maybe a, especially a young team like Ottawa brings a guy like this in is because you want the young guys to see, you know, see a veteran, see what he does, see the work that he puts into it, 
see the way that he approaches uh, the, preparing for the games. Um, you know, gives him a chance to you know to to, to sit with some of the younger guys, um, and uh, you know maybe they can learn a little from him. And maybe it's just you know kind of your way of saying hey thanks or your way of highlighting, saying hey man this this is a guy that we we're putting some stock in his experience, um, or as you say maybe it is a, a tip off that this is uh, there's there's more to this. It, but I mean you're the senators guy. Is there a roster spot? available for Josh Bailey on on this team? I mean, right now they're pinched on the cap. They don't have the money for Shane Pinto. Uh so how you how you shoehorning Josh Bailey in too? I that's the part I don't understand. Um you're going to have to you clean talk about out bizarre. The Ottawa Senators are up against the cap. Okay. But you know what there there's a significant caveat to that, which is yeah, okay, they're up against the cap, but 5 million of that is to guys who aren't playing for them this year. Bobby Ryan, Colin White, Mike Delzato, Matt Murray. Like, like they kind of put themselves into this spot. Mm -hmm. And and I feel like a a lot of Ottawa fans maybe don't understand that. They think, oh, we're we're up, we're finally spending to the cap, and now we just don't have room for Shane Pinto. It's like, well, hang on a second. Um, You should have had room for Shane Pinto. And you didn't because some Mm -hmm. of the previous, at some point when you kick the can down the road, you have nowhere else to kick it. And that's where yep. they're at right now. So I don't know where you find the room for Bailey, but it just feels I, like an NFL situation, right? Like we're you, we're both football right. fans, and you're always yeah. used to hearing about dead money in the NFL, and you know, wow, they just gotta they just gotta eat the dead money this year, and then they'll they'll have cap space. Yeah, but but I gotta say, like a lot of teams, you look at them, and if you say up against the cap, it's it's bad management, and you know, you've certainly highlighted some of the decisions they've made. I, I just, if anything, if I'm a Senators fan, I, I don't like that there's dead money. I don't like that they're in this pinch and it, it may affect their ability to get guys signed. But I do like that we're up against the cap now instead of having 20 million in cap yeah, space sitting just around. sitting there. Or, or Marion Gabrick sitting in the, you know, on LTIR making 7 million just to get us up to the floor. Um, you know, new new way of doing business in Ottawa of, of maybe actually spending some money. It's, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. So, okay, we'll see what happens with Bailey. I just thought, him wearing an A seemed to be a little bit of a window. Like there was other guys that could have, like, you know, Eric Brandstrom has played for Ottawa for a number of years. He could have worn the A mm-hmm. yesterday. He didn't. They gave it to Bailey. So anyway, that that's just. Is just it maybe a, a sign to some of those players that, you, you know, you, we haven't seen enough from you guys where, and, and, and maybe, and this is me putting on my, you know, my 200 hockey man hat of, you yeah. know, the, but, but is this your way of sending the, the Hey guys, nothing's going to be given. Nothing's just going to be handed just because yeah, you've that, been here for a few years. That um, is a classic 200 hockey man. That is, uh, that is exactly. And, and they is. sit, as they sit around in a table, the 200 of them, they're like, what's, what's a way we could send a message. Yeah. They're like, Let's send messages. <laughs> Let's let's call you know, each other's landlines and send messages. Those that's the you, two things that old hockey guys love. You know what we we you, we should do would be great. You know how the NFL has that uh, ad campaign right now, like that they're like the whole season is quote yes. unquote scripted. Yeah, uh-huh. we do it with the two hundred hockey men sitting around a table and like they're strategizing about. Yeah, just these <laughs> decision making old old guys sitting around yeah. talking yeah. about uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and 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 they're taking calls on their their landline and just different 
fun things we could do with the 200. I, 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 in fact, I want some, some feedback from the listeners. I want like the, you know, what are those 200 hockey men? Like what are the 10 commandments of the 200 hockey men? What are, what's going to be on their list of, uh, of just, uh, the classic, classic yeah. 200 hockey man, uh, message sending. Uh, how do you, yeah, how do you I, send? The I always love the, the backup goalie with the Stanley cup ring. Who's going to like come into the, the locker room and, oh yeah, that's the guy we need. Because that's who, you know, when when the going gets tough, that's who the first line center is going to turn to. You know, hey, man, how did you handle this situation the year you won the cup? Well, what I did is I sat on the bench in a baseball cap and I ate a hot dog uh, during triple overtime. And that seemed to work for me. But I don't know, maybe maybe not so much. Yeah. Um, uh <laughs> Oh man, I love it. Hey, let's uh, let's get. We have a ton of uh, of, of emails and and a voicemail to get to because we love. You know, one of the things we love about uh, the show is, is is just interacting with our listeners. So, uh, like Sean said, we love to hear from you. If you got some some of the ten commandments for the uh, the, the two hundred hockey men, we'd love to hear from you. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail dot com is the way to get us. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail dot com, or leave us a voicemail. At 845-445-8459. That's exactly what Ben from Vancouver, Washington. That's right. Not Vancouver, British Columbia. Vancouver, Washington, just down the coast. Um, he's got a question for us about Detroit and expectations for this season. I'm calling because I'm just curious. What are your guys' expectations for the Red Wings within the next few years? Um, me, personally, I feel like they can at least compete for a playoff spot this season. Um, it's definitely a wild card. I don't know if they can make their way into the number three or number two spot. Um, but I can see them the next few years being competitive. I was just curious what everyone else's opinion is on that. All right. Yeah. Detroit's a really interesting team to me, Sean, because I think, uh, you know, Steve Eiserman has preached patience. I don't think he has been as sort of maybe a great even though I know they got the Brinket and, and, and Comfort and they've done some things this summer, I still don't think that the expectation from Detroit fans is like, like it is in Buffalo and Ottawa, which is kind of, it feels a little bit playoff or bust for those play, uh, places. Detroit feels like a little bit more patience there. I, I think that they could fight for a playoff spot maybe this year, but I, I don't know. I, I think that they're just a, a mini step behind those other teams. Yeah. And, and that's what's interesting to me. Cause you said, you know, what's what's the feeling in Detroit? And and I'm not sure on that, but I, I know that if you go outside of those three markets, Detroit, Buffalo, Ottawa, it really does feel like the, the there's far more excitement for Ottawa and, and Buffalo right now. Yeah. Buffalo is like the feel-good story. Feels like everyone's rooting for Buffalo to, you know, to finally get back in. Tage Thompson and you know that that entertaining crew of guys that they've got, and then you look at Ottawa and hey, the the pieces are in place, and we're going to find out now um, what what the ceiling is for that team, and that that's that makes Detroit very interesting to me because it they've almost been doing this rebuild, maybe not longer, but they've been doing the classic rebuild longer than than I would say either one of those two teams. Um, even though you know Buffalo hasn't been in the playoffs forever, Ottawa's had a long drought. It, it took Buffalo and Ottawa a little while to sort of find their footing in the plan. And Detroit's been on that path. Obviously, they they bring in Steve Eiserman, the hometown hero, comes back, um, and he's going to get all the patience in the world. And he's done a lot of good things. 
And yet the, the results haven't been there. And this year they go out and they make arguably the, the biggest move, the biggest trade of the Iserman era to, to get to Brinkett. Um, and it's a situation where it feels like there should be some excitement and some optimism. And hey, we got the young team. They're, they're, we've had two busy off seasons in a row as far as bringing in the veterans and, and, and adding the pieces. And yet when you look around and we're getting into prediction season, we're getting into you know season preview uh, time, man, the, the Red Wings show up seventh in an awful lot of Atlantic Division previews right now, don't they? Yeah. Um, they, they, it, it feels like we've got those, those four playoff teams in the Atlantic in some order or the other. You've got the three up and coming teams and it really feels like there's, there's starting to be some separation, Ottawa, Buffalo in, in some order, then Detroit, and then obviously Montreal at the bottom. Um, I don't know. Is, is that enough? And, and that's been, it's been an ongoing discussion. I've, I've seen flare up a few times over the summer um, with with Detroit fans and fans in other markets, because I think there's a lot of fans outside Detroit who look at this and say, you know, Iserman hasn't done enough. The, the results aren't there. At what point do you have to get out of seventh place and start making some progress? At what point is it not okay that the yeah. Ottawa's and Buffalo's have maybe blown past you on on this this uh, list? At the same time, I know, you know, and, and there's some frustration in Detroit too, but I, I know a lot of Detroit fans would say two things. First of all, we trust the plan. I mean, look, so Steve Eiserman is, there is not a GM that you're ever going to have that's going to get more patience than Steve Eiserman in Detroit. You know, Joe Sackett in Colorado was probably the other guy. Um, but Eiserman had actually gone and done it somewhere else, built a cup-worthy team somewhere yep. else. And he comes into Detroit. It's a perfect situation. The other thing that a lot of Detroit fans will tell you, and this is absolutely true, is, hey, we've had terrible luck in the lottery. So, so what do you want us to do? We have yeah. never picked in the top three. We picked, uh, you know, we, we had a one absolutely terrible year. We finished dead last. Three teams passed us in the lottery. We get Lucas Raymond fourth overall. Good player. But, you know, you know, not a, not a star and, and you, or, or not a, not, not a Tim franchise, Stutzler, right? you know, yeah, like, not a Tim Stutzel and not, uh, you know, a, you know, a Tage Thompson or a Rasmus Dallin or, or an Owen Power. I mean, they're sitting there going like, what do you want Steve Eiserman to do? Like, yeah, great. Good for the Sabres. They won the lottery twice. Is it Steve Eiserman's fault that Detroit didn't do that? Um, you know, Ottawa a little different where they've, they've kind of hit some home runs on, on some picks potentially. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people would say the problem with the Red Wings right now is you go, okay, in a league where the conventional wisdom right now is elite talent is what drives success, the superstar players, and then you build around them. Where's, where's the superstar talent on Detroit? If Dylan Larkin is your number one forward, is that good enough? in a league where you're going up against Matthew Kachuk and Nikita Kucherov and, uh, you know, and Austin Matthews and guys like that in the division. If, uh, you know, if, if Alex Dabrinkit is number two or number three on your list, is that good enough? Um, and, uh, you know, Mort Sider, a guy who he felt like he was the guy, even this time a year ago, a lot of us were looking at him going, hey, that, that could be your, your next Norris guy. Yep. Took maybe a bit of a step back last year. I don't want to over, I don't want to exaggerate 
um, you know, w- w- his season last year, but it wasn't the season you hope for if you're thinking this guy's going to be our Kale McCarr. Um, is there enough there? How high is the ceiling for this team? And to bring it back to the question that our listener asked, is the ceiling a playoff spot this year? Is it competing for a playoff spot? Yeah, I think competing for a playoff spot is certainly uh, is is certainly reasonable for this team. I, I think if we get to February and the Red Wings are out of the running, that's going to be that's going to be a real tough situation. Um, remember, they they competed for a spot last year. They had that two game series in Ottawa with Ottawa. Yeah, absolutely. Where they came in, got their doors blown off right before the deadline, and then Eiserman basically uh, waved the white flag and started moving guys out, which again, probably the right move. But at some point you just look at it and you say, okay, how does this team get to the playoffs? Eh, you know what? There, there's probably a path there. How does this team get to being a Stanley Cup contender? Is there enough there without that number one overall pick level of of potential young star the build around? And if it's not there, then then what do you do? Yeah, my my concern on Detroit is definitely on the back end, like where I, I, you got like Sherrod is there, right? Uh, Olimata, Petrie, Gostaspare, Hall, like those are older guys. Like the, like Cider mm-hmm. is like the one young guy, right? Like it's not yeah. like you've got this like like you said, Power and Darlene in, in Buffalo, Sanderson, Shabbat in Ottawa, like guys that are sort of in their early twenties and kind of up and coming. Detroit's not like that. And then my other question is the confidence level in the goaltending, where I not think high. people might people might forget that that you know James Reimer is backing up there, uh, and Villa Huso is the number one, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Like, is that is that Which, good enough to to cover up any deficiencies that they might have? I don't know. And, and you know what? If if I'm if I'm a Red Wings fan, I'm sitting there going, "Well, okay, hold on." If we're going to talk about the goaltending, you know, Billy Huso's had some success in the league. Not, you know, it hasn't been fantastic. He's he certainly, you know, he's not in anyone's top ten list. But if I'm a Red Wings fan, I'm saying, hey, if 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 it's three teams competing for that spot, look at Buffalo. Have not done anything to address goaltending. It's it's they're they're basically relying on uh, Devin Levi to to uh, to be a star, which he very well might be. But that's a big question mark. And then you look at Ottawa. Um, where goaltending's been an issue for years, and uh, you know, with Corp Salo, may absolutely may still be. Um, that's maybe the one spot where, if I'm a Detroit fan, I'm going, yeah, our goaltending might not be great, but our goaltending absolutely could be the best of those three. And hey, how much of how much of this league where we sit around and well, you know, I don't know about the depth here or this here, and it just ends up being whose goalie can stay hot for an entire season. Maybe at the end of this year, we're looking at the standings, saying, yeah, Detroit did finish ahead of Buffalo and Ottawa. And part of it is they actually had uh, the better goaltending, and we should have seen that coming. Yeah, I think this is going to be the year. And I think Detroit fans have been super patient. This is the year where I think we start to talk about how patient are they going to be. Uh, yep. Because I think Buffalo fans have been the most patient in maybe arguably in all of sports uh, mm-hmm. the last decade. Uh, and, you know, Ottawa fans have been through the the, the tire fire, all that. Detroit never it it was never a flaming pile of garbage in in Detroit like it was like a dumpster fire in Ottawa and there, and, and Buffalo. Yeah. It's almost there been was it's a slow one burn, terrible right? season, but yeah, the, was, the, yeah even but, the organization was always yeah well run. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, well, 
we'll we'll see, but we appreciate the thing that blows me away whenever I look at that Detroit roster is that considering how bad they've been and for for how long. And it's I mean, again, we're not going back 10 years to when they made the playoffs, but this is a team that, you know, for four or five, six years has been a bad team. They've got they've got Mo Sider. They've got Lucas Raymond. Raymond's 21. Sider's 22. That's kind of it. As far as impact young players on the roster, Dylan Larkin's not young anymore. He's 27. No, he's that, that's yeah. not young in the context of, of the NHL. Alex DeBrinkett. And, and yes, they have prospects. Every team has prospects. Of course, they're, you know, don't, don't email me and be like, what about this guy who might come up and compete for a spot on the third line? I'm talking guys that you build around. And you compare that to a team like Ottawa, where, you know, it feels like there's, there's more of those guys. Buffalo, certainly. More of those guys. And again, I mean, if you're a Red Wings fan, I know I can hear you right now. You're throwing your hands up going, ping pong balls, man. Like, what were we supposed to do? And yeah, I absolutely get that. But what are you supposed to do? I mean, at, at some sometimes the balls do bounce that way. And, and okay, now what? Um, and now what, I think, is the big question for the Red Wings heading into the season. And they're a very interesting team to watch for me for that reason. Last week, I think we talked the last uh, the last show we did. We talked about boy, how many times have you seen a multi year contract for a player? We had a question right from a listener who said uh, somebody signs a contract, let's say three years times three million, and at the end of the contract, both sides look at each other and say, "You know what? That was awesome. Let's do it again." And off the top of our head, we couldn't think of you know great examples, and that's why we have you, the listener, to help us out. So we got a couple here, both Eric and George, pointing out uh, Sean that. Andre Markov uh, did this multiple times with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, signing consecutive multi-year deals at a $5.75 million hit. In fact, George mm-hmm. points out, he says, what's really interesting, these deals were all signed by different GMs, Ganey, Gauthier, Bergevin. And George says, I think the reason why <laughs> Markov took the same money over and over, he negotiated his own deals and didn't have an agent. I love it. I love the copy and paste negotiations. Yeah, yeah according to him, and, and I mean, I guess we could look and verify this, but Andre Markov, t- is this right? 10 straight years with the same cap hit in terms of, of his contracts. Four years, three years, three years. Wow. That's, I mean, that that's exactly what we were looking for. And yeah, you're right. The, the three different GMs, but the same uh, the same guy doing his, doing his own yeah. thing. Do you think he had a form letter that he just sent to the new GM? Yeah. Or they had to like just like print their name at the top and then uh, just sign at the bottom, and that was that was all good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've just I've confirmed it here on on Cap Friendly. First deal signed by Bob Gainey at five point seven five. Second deal signed by Pierre Gauthier at five point seven five. Third one, Mark Bergevin, five point seven five. All of them for at least three years in length. Exact same each time. Not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah. That's that's exactly what we were uh, looking for. But we also have uh, a Rob who says Boone Jenner in Columbus has done consecutive contracts of three point seven five million on the cap hit, multi year deals. This time, it, and and it sounds like each time they were uh, four year deals at three point seven five on okay. uh, on Boone Jenner. Yep, that's so, uh, that. So that's that's another good example. And we did have a few people on Twitter as well uh, throw that out there. So. Um, yeah, that's, uh, not, not common, 
Certainly, I think the fact that there's there's two main examples that, uh, but not unheard of, which is what we we're wondering. So good job by by the listeners digging those names up. Okay, a couple of quick hitters here. Uh, this one comes in from Joe via email. Uh, Joe Juno or Bob McMillan, who's the worst player to ever get seventy assists in a single season in the NHL? I'm going to be straight up honest. I don't know anything about Bob McMillan. Yep, uh, I'm uh, that one. <laughs> I think uh, he he may take the uh, he may have to take the crown because I'm having to uh, hit up a hockey reference page right now, and I'm looking at this and I've never heard of Bob McMillan. Is that wrong? Of wow, you? what a strange. I, I yeah, I'm I'm looking at his uh, his page. Okay, so let let's let's dig well, well, Bob McMillan. He, I'm assuming he's a forward. He's a forward. He's a right winger. Uh, was the fifteenth overall pick in the seventy-two amateur draft. Just to give you uh, a sense of where earth? I've never from. heard it. He had a hundred points. So he he uh, he's one of those guys. He's drafted by the Rangers, but he's one of those guys who goes to the WHA first. Has has okay numbers in the WHA, playing for the uh, the wonderfully named Minnesota Fighting Saints. Uh, plays one year with the Rangers. Ends up in St. Louis. Again, I, I mean this this a couple of twenty year uh, twenty goals, fifty point guy, and this is in the seventies. Scoring is is uh, is way up uh, in the diluted NHL. So I mean, it's it, fifty points is not nothing, but nothing that would suggest superstar. And then he gets he goes from St. Louis to Atlanta, uh, gets gets traded midway through the seventy seven seventy eight season, and suddenly explodes for. 31 goals and is a point of game player in, in 52 games with the Atlanta Flames. Uh, and then in his first full season in Atlanta, he has 37 goals, 71 assists, 108 points, and wins the Lady Bing. I've shot, I've and never then, heard of this guy. And and then settles in for a few more years with, with the Flames. Atlanta moves to Calgary. He has 60 points. And then finishes his career at Colorado, New Jersey, and then uh, Chicago. But just, just tell me, have you ever heard of him? No. No, I had, I, no. I have no memory no. of this guy. And he won the Lady Bing and at 100 points and neither of us, again, it's before our time, but still, I feel like here's, we're pretty here's good. Here's why, if, if the name this, rings a bell, other than that one crazy season, where it may come from is... um. He the Flames traded him to Colorado for Lanny McDonald as part of that deal. There were there were a couple other names involved, but that's how the Flames get. Because remember, Lanny McDonald goes from Toronto to Colorado in that whole uh, that whole dumpster fire. Um, was that Don Lever? That was that that the guy? The, yep, the main guy right. in that deal? Yeah, yeah, Don Lever. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Bob McMillan's in that deal. Um, so yeah, I mean. Hey, worst player to have seventy assists. You get hundred points in the NHL. I don't. I don't care where you're playing, what the era. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. But um, uh, that's uh, yeah, that's a guy that I think a lot of us would not know the name very well. And and also, just while we're on the topic, I am not going to sit here and stand for any Joe Juno slander. So can we, uh, you know, just. Uh, uh, put yeah. put an end to that because that's uh, Joe Juno was a pretty good pretty good player. He wasn't the man. You talk about weird seasons. Joey Juno has seventy assists as a rookie in ninety two as a left winger sets the all time NHL record for assists by a left winger in a season. 
that's not that obscure a record, right? Now, I'm not talking yeah. like, you know, plus minus in uh, day games or whatever on Tuesdays. This guy has sets the all-time record as a rookie for assists by a left winger uh, in a league where there have been lots of, you know, left wing is usually the weakest position in the NHL, but there, there have been some superstars out there for sure. That record stands all through the 90s and, you know, for, for three decades, basically. It finally got broken uh, a couple was seasons it Panarin? ago. Panarin broke it, yeah. Panarin yeah. and Johnny okay, yeah, Goudreau, yeah, just, or uh, yeah, not yeah, Johnny yeah. Goudreau, um, yeah, Huberto, both, both passed it. But that record stood for a long, long time. Joey Juno does it as a rookie. Uh, and by the way, doesn't get a single rookie of the year vote that year because there was some some kid named Timu Solani had a uh, slightly better rookie season yeah. in 92, Imagine 93. 70 assists in your rookie season and you don't even sniff the Calder. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, absolutely anyway, wild. So- and, and also does not ever, ever sniff uh, getting <laughs> that close to, to that total again. Yeah. Anyway, you know what? Bob McMillan. I appreciate this email from Joe because I, I never knew that I knew anything about this guy ever. I never heard of him I'm, I'm, and he won a lady Bing. So thank you for, he won for, a lady Bing and he, uh, <laughs> he's, he's the father of Logan McMillan, who was a first round pick by the ducks, uh, 15 or 16 years ago. And, uh, apparently also served in, in parliament. So nice job, Bob, <laughs> man, Bob McMillan. Jeez. This guy was Bob crushing McMillan. it out there. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Man. Okay. Well, there you go. Look, um, we got tons of emails. I'll tell you what, Jeff in Seattle, you have an awesome email about realignment. Why don't we punt that to, like, I feel like we'll punt that to next week. Cause I actually think that that's a fun mm-hmm. debate we can have. And, Boy, it, it'll, and it's tough, it'll be- isn't it? Cause it's, it's, it, you can see it in, in, even in this email, just to tease it where it's like, you know, yeah. what if we realign, it's like playing whack-a-mole when you try to realign the NHL. <laughs> yeah. Cause you only like, get everything perfect. One- Everything's perfect. Yeah. And then you're like, but well, what do we do with the avalanche? Yeah. You're or like, what do we do as I put Columbus Nashville? in the Pacific yeah. Division, it works perfectly. Yeah, yeah, you're just exactly. going, oh. Yeah. Always. Yeah. There's always yeah. the one team somewhere in middle America where you're like, I just don't know what to do with them. Anyway, uh, Jeff, we love that email. We're going to get to it uh, next week. And, and you know, listen, we, we got other emails. We'll, we'll get to the next by, week. By the way, uh, I love that it's Jeff in Seattle, the Kraken fan. Like, they've been in the league two years. Yeah, and he's like, let's already blow it like, up. All right, I, okay. I feel like I've seen enough. I'm going to tell you how this league needs to get reorganized. <laughs> I love it. Love it from Kraken uh, fans. Yeah, so look, keep those emails coming in, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. We love it. We'll get to them uh, next week. I just want to wrap with one little thing about this week in hockey history because it's it's cool. And again, um, you know, you and I, you know, Bob McMillan notwithstanding, we like to think of ourselves as kind of hockey historians and we look back at fun little things. Uh, 1929, September 28th, 1929, the NHL announces that we're going to change the rules. And for the first time ever, we are going to permit, we are going to allow forward passing in the offensive zone. And I want our listeners to really think about this for a second. Think about what the game would have been like prior to September 28th, 1929, meaning you couldn't pass it forward in the offensive zone. You'd have to carry the puck or throw it backwards. You couldn't pass it forward until they all got together in late September of 1929 and said, what if we change the rules? Yeah. And here's my question. Do you think there were 
the 1920s equivalent of the 200 hockey men back then going like, we can't do this. This is a slap yeah. in the face. This is Talk yeah. with your radical changes. I don't even want to what you know what? If you want to see forward passes, go watch basketball. You think there was uh, somebody doing that? That whole 100 percent there was right. It, 100%. And if people are wondering um, where this came from. Uh, let me just, uh, I'm just going to read you the uh, average goals per game. This is per team. When the NHL first launches for the first four years, it's over four goals a game. There's a lot of, a uh, lot of high scoring. You know, this is where you get like the, the Joe Malones and guys like that putting up the, scoring the seven crazy goals number. A game. Yeah. Yeah. The, the first NHL, well, it wasn't the first game in NHL history. It was like a 10-9 final, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but then it settles in, starts becoming more defensive, drops under four goals, um, drops down to 3.26 goals per game in by 1923, then down to 2.66, 2.5, 2 2.31, two goals a game by 1927. This is per team, two goals a game, then drops to 1.9. And then in 1928, 29, 1.46 goals per game per team. So in other words, less than three goals at boy. You talk about, in like, other words, you're days. watching a lot of two to one. A lot of two You're talking these days, man, like we just went through the dead puck era, six goals a game, 5.5 for, for a while. And I mean, it was just, you know, brain numbingly boring hockey. Imagine half of that. And to their credit, this is back, this back, the NHL's 10 years old at this point. Um, you know, believe it or not, and cover your ears, Gary Bettman, because this, this will blow your mind. The league watches scoring drop and drop and drop and goes, hey, what if we actually did something? <laughs> what if we actively did something? What if something? instead of just talking about, you know, and I'm sure somebody put their hand up and said, what if we moved the offensive face zone dot like a couple of inches over? And somebody else said, what if we made like a minor change to goaltending equipment that we won't even enforce? And then somebody else put their hand up and said, what if we did something actually bold that would actually change the game? And they did, and and scoring doesn't, shoot up uh certainly but uh it uh, it goes up significantly and uh the NHL is on its way to actually being uh, in fact it, yeah scoring scoring essentially doubles the next year uh up up to a whole three goals a game per team and we never thankfully ever get anywhere down near that uh, 1.46 goals a game if you've ever looked in the record book if you're ever like sitting down going like I wonder what the record for uh, lowest goals against average in a game is, or some, or in a rather in a season, you've probably encountered this where you're like, why are all these guys I've never heard of from 1927 who had like yeah. a 0.87 goals against average? Yeah, that's <laughs> because there was no forward pass back then in the NHL. Yeah, think about that. It's it's wild to think about. It. But anyway, that that's your little trip down this week in hockey history. Just to, I just want the listeners to imagine what the game would look like today if you couldn't. Pass it forward in in the offensive zone. This is again, uh, we've bounced this idea before where when yeah. teams are eliminated from the playoffs, yes, both the rule teams, changes. They should yes. have to mess around through. Let's do this one. Let's just, you know, go, hey, Montreal school, against Arizona. Guess hockey. what? Yeah. You you know, are you interested <laughs> in watching Montreal and Arizona in late March? No, of course not. You'd have to be crazy. What if I told you, hey, it's no forward pass night? You're watching that game. You're I'm 100 absolutely... glued into that game. Yeah, you're 100 yeah. percent watching that. And boy, how yeah. exciting would it be, right? Because think of all those, uh, you know, in in the NFL, right? We see it. You know, oh, was that a lateral or was it a forward or pass? The, and the Frank White 
the Frank wow. Wycheck, the Dyson. Uh, Dude, imagine Music every City pass Miracle. in the NHL. We could have replay review on every oh, single I, pass to just that, get it right. That just one freeze frame Cole, everything. Cole Caulfield, ah, is that going forward? Yeah, I yeah. don't know, man. Let's uh, let's slam the slam the brakes on this game. The game would take eight hours to play. Yeah, uh, and it would finish one to nothing, and uh, you'd watch every sure. every second of it. Yeah, let's make this be, happen. We'd, we'd be hooked. All right, uh, we'll leave it there. This was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. You got any ideas uh, for for rule changes, fun things like that? Uh, Two hundred hockey men commandments, all that stuff. You know what to do. Send us an email, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459.